just like that, we're back. Late Kick Extra, Thursday morning, February 25th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Jam-packed, as always. Got a lot of Q&A. As soon as I started recording, my little space heater came on over here. You know what, Jordan? We're not even going to stop the recording. Let's just turn that off. All right, there we go. That's, uh, that's proof that even though we don't record this live, we certainly don't edit it and chop it up a whole heck of a lot. All right, so we've got a wall-to-wall Q&A. That's the format every single episode of Late Kick Extra. We do it Tuesday morning, Thursday morning. You can submit your questions, make them good, because your content's always better than mine. JoshPate706 at gmail.com. That's one way. Follow me on Twitter at LateKickJosh. That's another way. Several reasons to follow me on Twitter actually. Also, uh, to put it right here on the front end, I've gotten a ton of great submissions, got some really good ideas. We, we have created from the dust, as if we plucked one of Adam's ribs out of his rib cage, we have created Pate State University. Uh, this is not open for enrollment. It is purely hypothetical or theoretical at this point, but I'm going to use it a lot when I need to reference a random team in a random scenario on our shows. I got tired of using Kent State, and so we're going to use Pate State. We need a mascot name. We need a battle cry. I got some good ones so far, some very creative ones, ones I never would have thought of in a million years. Here's what I want you to do. Just picture them. Picture them on anywhere from a t-shirt to the side of a helmet. What's going to look good? What's going to sound good? What would you play for? We have to appeal to the masses here. We're looking to build a program after all, so keep those submissions coming in. All right, let's uh, let's not waste a whole lot of time this morning. Let's dive right in. My apologies, by the way. I recorded the show the other day. I was so excited. I found an old microphone I used to use when I was doing independent stuff down in Columbus. And I thought to myself, you know, until I get my new, new microphone in, let me use this one. I was great. Producer Jordan was so excited when I told him and we recorded. The audio was great. Sound quality was great. Except for one little flaw, which turned out to be the reason I had forgotten that I stopped using that microphone. It cut out quarter seconds every so often. Sounds like clips. It sounds like your internet's not working. And then you realize, wait a second, I'm listening in my car. How can my internet not be working? It's got to be him. Yeah, it was me. Well, it was the mic. I I just want all the credit with none of the blame. That's all I want. So I want the mic to take the blame. If it's a good show, I want the credit. But yeah, the mic has been... It hasn't been disposed of because it still looks cool. I use it as a prop sometimes, but it has been set back in its proper corner and it will once again begin to collect dust. And we'll get a new microphone in here eventually to where even though we have like B quality audio right now, good enough is not enough. So we're going to get you some A plus quality audio in the not too distant future. Of course, if everyone signs my expense reports around here. All right, let's dive in this morning. Our first question comes from Stephen. Steven says, I know recruiting has been excellent since Kirby Smart got to Georgia, but I can't help but worry that he's dropping the ball and putting the program at a disadvantage with how many other programs are leveraging the transfer portal to boost their rosters. Is Kirby Smart being stubborn and dinosaurish, or am I making much ado about nothing? Well, Steven, I don't think he's ignoring the transfer portal. I know the quote you're talking about. He's He being Kirby Smart, he's referenced this pretty recently. Dabo Swinney talked about this at great length yesterday. I'm going to talk a lot more about it on tonight's Lit Kick Live because I think there may be either some coaches slightly misspeaking or misleading you or, and this will be the more popular case, there are coaches who are saying things and then there are people who are hearing different things than the coach said. That's the case with Dabo tonight. Like Dabo, I'm going to go over the quote tonight, but he said, the way that we do things at Clemson isn't changing. The rules have just changed. Well, what people are going to interpret that as, some people are going to interpret that as, 
Oh, Dabo's saying he's never going to take transfers. We'll see about that. Well, he's he's not saying that. In fact, he said the exact opposite. And again, I'll go into that in a lot more detail tonight. But you, Stephen, are referencing Kirby Smart. And Kirby has recently you know, expressed some displeasure, if not outright disdain for the transfer portal. You're going to hear this from a lot of coaches. You're going to hear it, especially from the from the programs that stack really, really good recruiting classes on top of each other. Because what happens is all of a sudden, with the way that the rules have changed, is they essentially see a trap door being built under their roster. What I mean is this. Every spring, let's just say, let's start right now. So we're in February. Let's say you're the head coach at Georgia. And you're Kirby Smart, and you've recruited a whole lot of good classes, and you keep on stacking top three, top four classes on top of each other. Got a couple of number one classes in there. So you go into spring practice. You got loaded position groups. You got great depth all over the place. And spring is what it is. And guys fight for positions, and then they come out of spring. And then previously, what did you do? Well, you met with your entire roster. You got a general feel for where guys were. You were going to have some guys happy. You were going to have some guys unhappy. But by and large, you know, you stroked them on the side of the cheek or you gave them some tough love and you told them what they needed to hear and what they need to improve on. And then they go into the summer and hopefully they take the offseason strength and conditioning seriously and they show up and fall ready to fight. And at the very worst, you're going to have superior depth because of those guys. Well, now with the way the rules have changed, there's all of a sudden what I'm calling a new trap door that's built under your roster. And at any given second after spring practice happens and guys have seen the pecking order and where they may be on the depth chart come fall, one of those trap doors could open. And you could see after, again, after spring, it's very important to note the calendar here. You could see after spring in any given year, you could see two of your running backs transfer. You could see a wide receiver and a couple of corners transfer. And all of a sudden you go from entering spring with a great looking depth situation at one position group to being perilously thin in like the blink of an eye at that position group. And what happened? Well, what happened was Guys realized, hmm, I'm not going to be able to play here. And then maybe that coincided with some folks from other programs, illegally, but it'll happen, reaching out to them via back channel and saying, hey, you could play here. Or maybe they get in touch with the uncle of a kid or the cousin of a kid. Hey, tell him he could play here now. Look at our depth situation. He's run, you say he's running with the threes up in Athens? Well, man, he could come down here or he'd come over here or up here and he'd be running with our ones. He's better than anyone we have. And all of a sudden these trap doors open and you may think to yourself, oh, boo-hoo, I'm not going to feel sorry for multi-millionaire head coaches. They got plenty of players. Okay, you can feel that way. But I'm not talking about your perspective at the moment. I'm talking about Kirby Smart's perspective or Nick Saban or Dabo Swinney, Ryan Day, the coaches at all these big time programs. What do you do? Like Dabo Swinney, that's another part of the quote I'm going to reference tonight. What do you do? It's one thing if guys transfer after the season's over and you know that, hey, you could theoretically address things still via recruiting. But now... You could go into spring like the previous recruiting class is already locked up. They're on campus or they're about to come onto campus. What happens if you lose multiple pieces of depth providing from one position group after spring? It's like Dabo says, you can't go and recruit a guy out of high school in May. You can't go recruit one in June. So you may have no other alternative than to go to the transfer portal. Some coaches are going to use the portal more sparingly than others. The philosophy, obviously, at Georgia or at Clemson is we are a developmental program. We fashion ourselves like an NFL model. And so we bring guys in and we develop and it's a multi-year process, but we've also got a culture here to where we believe in our evaluation. We're going to have very few guys fall by the wayside for reasons that 
pertains strictly to on the field. Now, if a guy becomes an academic casualty or, you know, he has a couple of arrests and we have to cut him loose to a certain extent, maybe you can do character evaluation, but that stuff we could not know was coming. But from a pure talent evaluation standpoint, we're good enough where we're not going to miss on guys. So we're going to get the right people on campus. And if we're doing things the way we should and we're recruiting the way we should, we won't need to go to the portal. And if we do, it'll be the rare, rare exception to the rule. So Stephen, when you talk about being dinosaurish, let me ask you, and this is rhetorical because I got to move on, but what would you rather see? And anyone listening right now, ask yourself this question. You're a fan of fill-in-the-blank university. What would you rather see? Would you rather see your program constantly having to go into December knowing we're going to need three, four, five guys from the portal this year? Or would you like to be a program that knows, hey, we won't even need to address the portal this year. And we may not need to go to it next year. And then third year in, uh, we're probably going to need, we're probably going to need to, may need to go find an outside linebacker. Uh, look, look at what's happened to our interior defensive line depth. Let's see if there's a guy out there that's a good fit for our program. We don't need one, but we would like to have one. That's what I think you want to use the transfer portal as. It's there as a fallback option. It's always there. You know it's going to be there. And, you know, if you are Clemson, if you are Georgia, if you are Ohio State or Alabama or Oklahoma, Texas, USC, you're always going to be attractive. And therefore, you know that you could theoretically go get one. It's just not the way you want to build your fold. It's not the culture. It's not your culture. It's not what you preach. And so there's nothing wrong with going to the portal. Dan Mullen's doing it very well right now. Lincoln Riley's doing it very well this cycle. I think it's still too early to know what trends to expect at various programs. So therefore, Stephen, I think it's too early to know how, quote, to use your quote, dinosaurish, unquote, Georgia and Kirby Smart are going to be. But I don't think it is a dinosaurish approach to hesitate in leaning on the portal. Next up, Paul, he asks, how will the NCAA prevent in the future boosters just using advertisements or brand ambassador, etc., as a method to pay players to come to their school? Well, Paul, I don't know that they will be able to. What Paul's asking about here is name, image, and likeness. This was the first thought that most people had when they heard that name, image, and likeness, it was going to change. The rules around that were going to change. And all that means is you can use your name. They can't stop you from profiting off of your name, off of your image. And so, Again, in theory, what that means is I'm not going to be paid a direct paycheck for playing football at Colorado. But if I have somebody out there who wants to pay me $2,500 a month to use my name to endorse their product, the NCAA will no longer be able to prevent me from doing that. And at that point, the free market just naturally works itself out. Well, if that were the case, if it were just pure free market principles in play, Paul, you wouldn't even be asking this question. But as we know, there's no way that's going to happen. At least from the NCAA standpoint, there's no way they're going to want that to happen. For a million different reasons we don't have time to get into. And so you'll have these little artificial barriers and these artificial governors put into place to make sure, okay, you can do this, but we can't quite let you do that. And one of the things Paul's asking here is the NCAA is going to tell you, if they haven't already, when they pass this legislation, it will no doubt include language that says, schools cannot be involved here. So in other words, if I am a four-star receiver from Ocala, Florida, and I'm about to go to the University of Florida, if I go there and I end up profiting off my name, image, and likeness because uh, Mr. Jones over here who runs an orange juice distribution plant wants to use my name to endorse his product, that's fine. But what can't happen is Dan Mullen can't come in my living room and say, hey, 
Josh, if you sign with Florida, we have a deal worked out with this orange juice distribution plant to where any kid who signs with us gets X number of dollars per year as an endorsement. So if you're a Gator, you get that endorsement deal. Now, Paul, they're going to tell you that's not possible. And what Paul's also saying is, how are you going to have all this in place but still say it's illegal to pay players in recruiting? Because, again, let's go back to the same scenario. Florida, Dan Mullen's not allowed to walk in my living room and say, Josh, I'll give you $5,000 if you sign with Florida. He's not allowed to do that, right? That's illegal. That's an impermissible benefit. But yet, what Paul's asking is, if the name, image, and likeness If all that's legal, then what stops Dan Mullen from going to the orange juice distribution plant manager and saying, here's 5,000 bucks. I want you to go tell Josh if he signs with Florida, he's going to get that money. Paul, you understand what we're trying to do here. We're trying to control the flow of water. We're trying to plug 13 holes with 10 fingers. It, of course, is impossible. So, Paul, to answer your question, how's the NCAA going to prevent it? They're not going to prevent it. That's the way this is going to work. And when you look at how... Many times they've attempted to kick the can down the road on this. They just did it recently. They just succeeded in pushing it down the road a few more months. The reason is because they know they're ill-equipped. They can't handle it. Once you open that, if you want to call it a Pandora's box, once you open that Pandora's box, you can't partially shut it off. You can't open a fire hydrant and then hand people straws and say, okay, you can go drink from that fire hydrant, but you're only allowed to use the straw we gave you. That's not the way that works. And so it's similarly here Once you open it, you open it. And once it's happening, it's happening. And there are a lot of coaching staffs out there trying to figure out the same thing you are, Paul, because here's the problem. What you don't want is you don't want to be the program that decides to stick strictly to the letter of the law and then get your lunch packed on the recruiting trail because other folks are looking around saying, hold up, there are no cops on this interstate. Our radar detector is silent. The Waze app says there is no law enforcement for 200 miles. We're going to go 95 And you're doing 70 and you feel great about yourself. But then all of a sudden, all you can see is dust because everyone's left you. So how do you manage this? How do you balance ethics, morality, if those are the things that you want to reference there, versus the competitive nature and competitive advantage? Also, once you say things are kind of okay, so let's go back to the ethics and the morality clauses maybe in your own mind and contract. Once you have the NCAA tell you, Name, image, and likeness, it's okay for guys to profit off of it. Now, all those ethical dilemmas you maybe used to have where you said, you know, I think these kids should be able to get money, but since it's illegal, I cannot stand for it. Well, now that they say it's okay for them to get some kinds of money, maybe those ethical dilemmas you used to have, maybe those moral dilemmas in your own mind as a coach that you used to have, if they were there, maybe they go out the window. And maybe you don't care so much anymore. Maybe you do push the gas down a little bit more. Maybe you feel comfortable cruising at 85, 87. Could we hit 90? Maybe. We'll see. Possibly. Got to work our way up to it. But Paul, there is no bureaucratic army in Indianapolis or Washington, for that matter, big enough to police what we're about to have coming at us with NIL. All right, next up. So I had a Twitter poll. It was kind of inspired by something I had been talking to someone on the phone about earlier that day. And I put it up there, as I sometimes do, if I have random thoughts, I just want to get your opinion on it. I want to know, you know, via free market research, what you think. So I did it the other day on Twitter, and I said, if I offered you access to one thing or the other thing, which would you take and why? I'm going to detail that. I'm going to give you my take right after this. So here is the Twitter poll I put up yesterday or two days ago, depending on when you're listening to this. I said, if I could offer you full access 
to one of these things, which would you take and why? Option A, all recruiting calls and recruiting visits, including in-home visits, including kids coming onto campus for your favorite program. You get a bird's eye view. You get to be a fly on the wall for all that. Would you rather have access to that or would you rather have access to coaching staff meetings? Now, it was about a 65-35 or a 70-30 split. Most people, most of you chose the coaching staff meetings. That's probably the way I would lean. However, it was funny how emphatic uh, those of you who answered the poll and then you gave a written response, you were very emphatic both ways because there are some people who find the world of recruiting as its own season. And I've always viewed it that way too. Recruiting, college football recruiting is almost like a separate sport inside of the, the overarching bubble of college football. So if you were to be able to watch, let's say, uh, Mike Norvell at Florida State go into the living room of a kid, you have literally never been able to see that before. Unless you are a family member or a friend and you've actually been in the house, you've never been able to witness that. Now, you rarely get to see staff meetings, but you and I have both seen staff meetings before. We haven't seen a whole staff meeting, and we certainly haven't had cameras able to access the most juicy parts of those staff meetings, but we have seen them before. You have never been able to watch Nick Saban sit down in a living room with grandma and mom and dad and sister and brother and prospect and sell Alabama to that kid. And you've also never been able to hear negative recruiting. When When is the last time that you would have been able to hear about negative recruiting? Not about it. You've heard about it. When have you ever heard it? When have you ever sat as a fly on the wall in a living room and listen to Steve Sarkeesian address Oklahoma's depth chart. Or if you're listening to Sam Pittman have to go on the road and they're battling LSU for a prospect. And the mom of the kid is saying, LSU's won a national title more recently. Why, why, why should Junior come to Arkansas if he can go down there and he can fulfill his dreams of the NFL, but he could also potentially win a title? How does Sam Pittman respond? You've never been able to see that. So the folks who wanted the access to the recruiting... That's why they wanted that access. Like they're thinking to themselves, I'm pretty sure a staff meeting sounds a lot cooler than it actually is. It's just a much of mundane, boring boilerplate here, attention to detail there. And I sit through meetings all day at work. I want to go into a world I've never had access to. And that's that recruiting world. Now, those of you on the other side, those of you who were of the opinion that you wanted access to the coaching staffs and the coaching meetings and the game plan installations and that sort of thing, you Reference the Nick Saban recruiting video that came out that was leaked, that Zoom chat that the kid from Philadelphia, who Alabama is still recruiting, by the way, he released that the other day. And those of you who watched that said, well, you've seen one, you've seen them all. I don't necessarily think you read the question thoroughly enough. I wasn't just talking about Zoom calls. I was talking about access to everything in the world of recruiting. So when the kid comes on campus for his official visit, you get to see it. When coaches fly to his home and do the in-home visit, you get to see it. And you thought to yourself, okay, but recruiting is recruiting. That's not even that's not even football. They're not even on campus yet. So I want to see the actual immediate, relevant football-related items. That's what I want access to. So it was really interesting because it wasn't there were very few fence riders. You guys were firmly on board one side or the other. I chose staff meetings only because I think, and you know, let me stress, I think I know what's going on most of the time in the living room of recruits. Now, this is where I have a little bit of an unfair advantage because you get to sometimes in my line of work, you get to talk to kids on the record. They're going to give you standard answers off the record. When you talk to parents and you talk to players, you start to develop a profile, a recruiting profile for coaches. And what you learn is 
It's no different than if you were cold calling. If you were working at a cold call center, you call one person, you try and sell the product and they buy it or they don't buy it. And then you call up the next person. Not a whole lot changes about your pitch. And so what I've learned in weighing one option versus the other here is once I heard Ed Orgeron sell LSU one time, I've heard 80% of what I would hear in any visit. Now that 20% is very important because the 20% is what is tailored to that specific recruit. And yes, while that would be interesting, every game plan is unique unto itself in a week. If I were to be able to watch staff meetings and also you've got so much internal drama, let's say if I am at Oklahoma State and I get to watch Mike Gundy run his program, there may be things going on unique to Oklahoma State that no other program is dealing with. There may be things at the University of Illinois as Brett Bielema was brand new on the scene that no other program is dealing with. So that there would just be more variety. I think if I could be a fly on the wall in staff meetings. So that's why I chose staff meetings. But as usual, certainly no wrong answer here either way. Let's roll on here. I got one I forgot to hit the other day. So first off, my apologies to Scotty K on Twitter. However, I'm going to make it up to you right now. So Scotty asked, people seem to always claim that the playoff expansion is the solution to all of our college football playoff problems. Obviously, I don't claim that, but Scotty is right. A lot of people do claim that. He said, while I'd love to see a bigger playoff field, I don't think expansion addresses the real issue. Right now, the four teams are selected based on vague criteria of just being, quote, the four best teams, unquote. How would you feel if the four teams were selected based on measurable statistics, such as ESPN's strength of record? I think this move would eliminate any bias committee has and provide a clearer path to the playoff. Well, Scotty, I have a problem with it, but not because of the principle of your question. In other words, if you would allow me to define the criteria, then I wouldn't worry about this. I'd have definites in place. And I would know, we would all know, going into the beginning of the season, exactly what you needed to accomplish, exactly which statistical benchmarks you needed to hit. The problem is, that's not the way it would be handled. Laughable metrics, like, all due respect, the suggestion you put in here, ESPN's strength of record would be used. It's, it's garbage. In fact, most strength of, strength of schedule metrics out there are garbage. The only strength of schedule metric that should be used is one that is purely Vegas-based. And that means power rating based. And what that means to put a finer point on it is the Vegas odds makers poll is a really good reference tool because they don't drop teams just because they lose. They could have a three loss team ahead of an undefeated team. All they're doing is ranking who they would favor over who on a neutral field. That is my reference point to determine true strength of schedule because you could have a four loss team that just happens to have played four teams inside the top 20 and the AP or a lot of other strength of schedule types out there, they're going to out of necessity, they think drop them out of the top 25. Well, all of a sudden, if you've played that team, you don't get credit for a top 25 win. Conversely, if I play a team that played a garbage schedule in the AAC or the ACC rather, and they avoided Clemson, that team could be terrible, could be 10 and two. And I get credit for beating a double digit win team in the top 15. That's not real strength of schedule. That's not. And so the problem is you actually end up with those kinds of strength of schedule metrics you end up punishing teams in better conferences. Let me give you an example. Let's just play a hypothetical here. Let's say Texas A&M is the number 10 team in the country. All right, it's just a random year. This is not this year. It's just a random year. Let's say Texas A&M, you got them ranked 10th. And over the next three weeks, they play number one Alabama, number three Florida, and number four Georgia. Back to back to back. And they lose all those games by 17 points, three points, and 10 points. What would you do with Texas A&M's ranking? 
They were number 10. They lost three games in a row. What would you do? If you are an AP voter, I'm telling you what you're doing. You're dropping them down into the 20s, if not out of the top 25 altogether. If I'm a power rating guy, by my own admission, when I ranked A&M 10th, I'm saying they should lose all those three games. They should lose them. In fact, theoretically, if you're playing my number one, three, and four team, if you're number five or lower, I should expect you to go 0-3 versus that lineup. Doesn't mean you can't pull the upset, but I'm not... In my mind, I'm not punishing you because you lost the games. If you lose 50 to 3, if the style of the game is not indicative of what I should expect from the number 10 team in the country, that's different. But if if I have the number 10 team play Alabama, I expect them to get beat by about 17. If they play the number 3 team and number 4 team, I, I expect maybe a touchdown to a 10-point margin. That's what I would expect. So in my power ratings... I wouldn't drop A&M at all. I I may even bump them up one or two, depending on what the rest of the poll did. So you've got a perfect situation there that encapsulates what I'm talking about. Because here's what happens. If Florida, in this scenario, they've beaten Texas A&M, towards the end of the year, if A&M ends up losing those three games and they're at least a three-loss team, well, Florida's not getting credit for beating a top 10 team because A&M wouldn't be in the top 10. But yet they have probably beaten a top 10 caliber team. And that becomes a mess because then also in these other conferences, you've got, let's just say Virginia, any given year, Virginia avoids Miami and Clemson in the ACC and they go 11 and one regular season. There's no way they're not going to be in the top 15 there. When's the last time a power five, one loss team was not in the top 15. And so let's say Clemson plays them in the ACC title game. Clemson would actually get credit for having defeated a top 15 team in their conference title game. Whereas Florida has played Texas A&M, a better team, power rating wise, a better team in the regular season. And Florida's getting less credit for having beaten A&M than Clemson is getting for beating Virginia. And quickly you see how false strength of schedule metrics actually being baked into a real playoff model, how that makes me leery. And so I'm a big believer in having the human element in the room because as we look at the way that that stuff is weighted, sometimes improperly, and we look at the inability of too many people in the college football room to open their eyes and realize record does not tell the whole story in college sports like it does in pro sports. As long as you have that inability and that misunderstanding of how college football works, I need the human element in the room. Otherwise, knowing the crew that would put it together, I wouldn't trust the data points that they use to determine the blind qualifiers for the playoff. Now, outside of that, you know I am totally 100% against any auto bid of any kind for anyone, including the SEC, which is the best conference of college football. I don't even think in August we should be saying their champion is automatically going to be in the playoff. I don't believe in that at all. So in lieu of someone coming to me and saying, it's up to you to design the playoff system, no, I got to go against you here. I am not going to be a big believer in defining all these because all that does is back me in a corner. And it's one that I'm going to probably have to come out of swinging eventually because I know how that's going to end. I absolutely know how that would end. All right. Good podcast this morning. I really appreciate the questions. As always, if you have one to submit, joshpate706 at gmail.com or on Twitter at LateKickJosh. Also, remember, keep those follows coming on Twitter at LateKickJosh. And let's also make sure that we're leaving five-star reviews for the podcast in the Apple review section. Also, if you want to submit a question through the podcast review format, it's easy. Just go there. Give me a five-star review. 
write a question in your review, hit submit, and I'll see it. I've got a lot of those. I haven't ignored those. I've got a lot of those. We'll probably hit those on the next pod, which would be Tuesday morning. So stay tuned for that. I appreciate you guys. Always the support means a lot to me. It has always been overwhelming since we started this. And I very, very much hope that that continues. Really fun to do this every week. So for producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Late Kick Extra podcast. Have a great day and God bless.